Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Thank you so much. That's a wonderful song. Even those who are musically challenged can harmonize on. That was beautiful. I wish you'd come up here and sit up front sometime and uh, hear yourselves sing. Thank you, God, for the gift of music. I put in the Bible today our uh, title, The Promise of Restoration. I live in an older neighborhood of Seattle, and uh, a lot of older homes, including my own, and there was a time when uh, actually people couldn't get out of there fast enough to live out here in the suburbs. Now everybody wants to live back in my neighborhood. And um, so what's happening is any little teeny piece of land that was possible, is a new house has gone up. Many older homes have been uh, there one day, and two days later you walk by and they're gone, and a new home goes up. Now I'm seeing more, um, including right next door to us and down at the end of our street, homes that are being uh, completely restored. Uh, beautiful jobs, too. Uh, restored back to the original look of the house. Restoration. Restoration. Putting it back to what it once was. That's our theme this morning is we're going to uh, be studying together on Acts chapter 3, the healing of the lame man from Sunday school this morning, for those of you that were there, and the results and the message of the preaching of the apostles. Well, let's look to the Lord in prayer as we begin. Father, as we are going to open your word at this time, uh, we once again pray that our, our hearts would be open to your word. This is your holy word. And the Bible tells us that you gave it by the Holy Spirit to the authors, and it has stood the test of time. And today, Lord, the Holy Spirit still enacts in our lives your word as we walk with you, live with for you, and as we've come to know Christ as Savior as the gospel has been preached to us. And so we give these next few moments to you, ask your blessing on our children, our early childhood departments as they continue to gather around your word. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Acts chapter 3. The story of the healing of the lame man. And uh, just a quick review. Verse 1, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple to time of prayer. At three in the afternoon, now a man crippled from birth, being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter looked at him and said, as did John. And Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk, taking him by his right hand. He helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk, and he went in with them, went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping. This be Gary's asking us to Yahoo and praise the Lord Day. This guy's jumping and walking and grabbing on to Peter and John. And the people recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So the temple of Jerusalem, this is the model of the temple. We saw this when we were there this last summer. And 
the uh, model of the temple and the temple walls and the eastern gate here and the steps going up to the temple uh, into this area here. And uh, th- th- you notice it's, it's called the beautiful gate. We don't really know which gate was called the beautiful gate. It's, it's really no indication historically. There's just different guesses about it. Most, I think, likely, it, it would most likely be this gate here. We, we walked up these steps. These have been uncovered, actually, and we were stood on these steps and had some time together because this is where the majority of people came into the temple courts. And if you were a beggar looking for money, this is where you would most naturally be because then it says he went into the temple courts. And so as he was in there uh, begging and people coming, and then as they go inside the temple courts is what's called the portico. And you'll notice that it says that they went inside the temple courts. They went into Solomon's portico. And when they went into this area, and you'll notice in verse 11, when the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in a place called Solomon's Colonnade. So they all come running into this place. And... uh and as they come into this to the grounds here, and whoops, and you know, this is a picture here that I took of the western wall. Oh, no, I didn't take this. I borrowed this, but I took some too. But you'll notice this mass of people there. These people are here for a Jewish holiday to the western wailing wall. And as they come to the western wailing wall, and you see all these people, and up front in the middle part would be the men going to the men's section. The women are on the right. People are crowding for this Jewish holiday. I want you to think of this scenario, this context, like that. Here it is empty, but think of this area packed with people like this. This is the context. They are there. It's been a holiday. We've talked about this. It was the Feast of Pentecost, and they came together, and the, and the people had to come to Jerusalem if they could. Hundreds of thousands of people converging on this little city. And they would pack, and this is at the end of it, but people are still there. Every day it was crowded, and the people were crammed into this area. And the men come, this man comes in with Peter and John, jumping and dancing and, and, and hanging on to them and praising God. He, he's, he didn't care anybody thinks, right? Even those of us who are a little more controlled emotionally, right? I mean, if that were you, this guy is just, it's, it's everything. He's, he doesn't care anybody thinks. And there's a stir, and people begin to gather around and say, hey, that's the guy that's been out there for years, Begging, we know he's lame. We know this isn't a trick. This isn't a sleight of hand. This is this is what's happened. And they began to gather around, and they were and they marvelled, and they were amazed that this man could walk, and not only walk, but he could jump and celebrate. And it's in this context, this Jewish context of Jerusalem, and these and these hordes of people who have come for the holiday and the rabbis, and the scholars, and the, the temple is there, the place of sacrifice is there, the animals, the priests, and this is the heart and soul, this is the heartthrob of Israel, and they're right here in these temple courts, praising God. And it's in that context, and we're going to look this morning at the apostolic message that we find in Acts chapter 3. And I want you to notice what Peter says here. In verse 12, when Peter saw this, when he, when he saw the people gathering around and, and marveling and, and wondering who, who these, what could these fishermen be doing, he says to them, and this is important, men of Israel, he is addressing the crowds. This is the Jewish Israel setting. Men of Israel, 
I mean, if there, if there are Gentile converts there, they are converts. They are Israelites because they are converts. Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? Men of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant, Jesus, Yeshua, Jesus. You hand, now listen, again we see this as we saw last week. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though you had decided, though, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. We saw him. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given him complete healing as you can all see. Men of Israel, this is a message about Jesus Christ. He had been in Jerusalem. All Jerusalem knew what had happened to him. It was no sideshow. It was not a secret. It had been the talk of, of the city and talk of Judea. It says, once again, he says, you killed him, but God handed him over to you. And, it's, and I mean, think of the irony here. Think of this, this opening message. Think of this irony. You killed the author of life. You killed the author of life. And in fact, as I was thinking about this, this might be the earliest apostolic clear proclamation that Jesus is God. Right? I mean, they've already talked about him being Lord and Messiah. But to call him the author of life, every Jew knew there's only one author of life. Right? In the beginning, God created. You killed the author of life. I mean, think of this and think of their hearts if they were convicted, if they thought this was even possibly true, that, that they not only killed the Messiah, but they killed the author of life. I mean, this is strong. This is a strong statement. But God raised them back. And through faith in him, this man you see is not because of us. It's because of God and the power of God through Jesus Christ that he is healed. This opening message, you killed the author of life. But I want you to look at really just three essentials of Peter's message here. It's part of the apostolic preaching and teaching that went on in this context. And there's much similarity in the preaching and teaching that has gone on. There are continuities. This, I just want you to kind of feel, for those of us that were there a few months ago, we have a pretty good feel of this. I want you to get this Jewish feel, this context of what's going on here in Jerusalem. And the continuities, the threads that run through this message of the gospel, that run through this age of the body of Christ today. We are not ethnic Israel. We do not live in Jerusalem but they're, they're threads of the, of the message, the continuity that, that, that run through all preaching 
of the hope of the gospel. I want us to see both the distinctions and the continuities as we study this book together in Sunday school and in church. The first part of Acts. We're not going to study the whole book this year, but the first part of Acts. And I want you to notice, first of all, verse 17. Now, brothers, fellow Israelites, I know. And I mean, think of this. This is, this is an amazing statement. Peter says, listen, brothers, I know you acted in ignorance as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through the prophets, saying that Christ, his Christ, would suffer. They acted. Hey, by the way, I got a brand new remote. Isn't that cool? No more six pictures flying by with one push, okay? I finally got tired of that, and we got a new remote, so don't anybody take this, all right? If you see this anyway, I'm going to put a big red sign on it or something, all right? Those of you who have been here for a while, you know what I'm talking about. Um, amazing pictures that fly through like a cartoon. You acted in ignorance. Think of it. You acted in ignorance. I mean, this is not excuse them. This is not hold them innocent. But to say, I mean, is this true? You acted in ignorance. It does not mean they didn't know what they were doing. They killed him, both Jews and Gentiles. But they didn't understand the significance of it. After all, what did our Lord Jesus Christ say from the cross of Calvary? As he was nailed to that cross, suffering and bleeding, and in the process of dying physically, what did he say? Father, forgive them. What? They do not know what they are doing. I mean, Jesus asked God to forgive them because they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't understand the significance. You know, I was thinking about this. Really, there's only one person who was really held accountable, and that's Judas. You know, it says that it was better for him not to have been born because he, he was one of the disciples that did know what they were doing. He, he knew who he claimed to be. He was part of that group that, you know, Jesus kept talking in parables. And the disciples say, why do you keep talking in parables to them? Why do you tell people not to say who you are? It's because everything was moving to the cross of Calvary. He had to die. He had to die. There was no other way. They could not accept him as Messiah and put him on the throne. But he had to die. It was God's plan. And Christ said, Father, forgive them. They don't know. Now listen, go back, if you will, just for a minute to Numbers chapter 15 in the Old Testament. In the book of Moses, five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. And I want you to notice in Numbers chapter 15, this is in this context of Israel. And, he, and he's, he, Peter says, men of Israel, brothers, and, his, and I'd like to include, maybe make it brothers and sisters. I don't know if he's just in the men's area or not. Um, generally, it was men in the temple. There was the court of the Gentiles, the court of the women. Um, people of Israel, listen to me. We killed him. But you did it in ignorance. Community, you did it in ignorance. He's not talking to any one person. He's talking to the group. And in Numbers chapter 15 and in verse 22, amongst the laws given to 
Israel and the and the sacrifices for for being pardoned for sin. Notice this here, verse 22. Now, if you unintentionally fail to keep any of these commands the Lord gave Moses, any of the Lord's commands to you through him from the day the Lord gave them and continuing through the generation to come, and if this is done unintentionally without community, without the community, now remember that word community, being aware of it, then the whole community is to offer a young bull for burnt offering as an aroma pleasing to the Lord, along with prescribed grain offering, drink offering, a male goat for sin offering. The priest is to make atonement for the whole Israelite community, and they will be forgiven. For it was not intentional. They have brought to the Lord for their wrong an offering made by fire and sin offering. The whole Israelite community and the aliens living among them will be forgiven because all the people were involved in the unintentional wrong. And the next verse, but if just one person sins unintentionally. So you have this whole section about the community unintentionally sinning and God providing for forgiveness and sacrifice. And what you have here, I think, in the third chapter of Acts, as well as in the Gospels, when Jesus says, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. It's a community event, but they didn't understand it. It was part of God's plan. And now it is time for the next step. Peter points out what has happened. Peter point, And of course, you know, we know that this has been misused. There's no doubt about that throughout the centuries, you know, calling Jews the Christ killers and persecuting Jews because we, we understand that fully. Jesus was a Jew. The disciples were Jews. All his descendants were Jews. This community is Jewish. All the thousands of people who are going to come in the book of Acts in these next few chapters, thousands of them, they're all Jewish. So, but in this particular case, I want you to notice, especially, he says, you acted in ignorance, verse 17, as did your leaders. And we're going to see in the book of Acts that the leaders of Israel are held accountable. They sit in Moses' seat. Didn't Jesus say? Didn't Jesus say? You listen to those who sit in Moses' seat because they sit in Moses' seat. Don't do what they do. That's a whole nother study, right? That'd be like coming to church and saying, now you listen to the pastors here, but don't live like them. Uh, how do you put those two together? But that's what, that's what Jesus said. You listen to them, but don't live like them. There is something about this role of leadership that they are held accountable for. But they did it in ignorance. And, Acts, and, and the same message goes to the Gentiles. When the Apostle Paul left Berea, where our name comes from, right? The Berean church, not the Burian church. Oh, you go to the Burian church. No, the Berean church. B-E-R-E-A-N, right? I just, now when people say what church you pastor, I don't even, I just spell it. B-E-R-E-A-N. So like my last name. Not as bad as my daughter's last name, McGillicuddy, M-C-G-I-L-L-I-C-U-D-D-Y. Right, okay. Listen, in Acts chapter 17, when Paul is at, is, is at Athens, and he's speaking to the, to the, uh, this, this philosophers and the learned men and this, this elite group. And in verse 21, as Paul preaches to them, look at what he says. Paul, verse, verse 22, Paul stood up among them, meeting the Areopagus. I see in every way you are very religious. Then he talks about their, 
their their religiosity and their their uh, their idols and their and the, and the things that that they have put there. And, and and he's addressing them. He talks about their poet. He talks completely in their context. Great lesson here. He talks in their context. He doesn't go to the Jewish law. He doesn't go to Moses. He goes to their context. And in verse 30, he says this to them, talking about idols. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. There's that word ignorance again. It's the word agnosios. It's where we get agnostic from. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. So to the Gentiles as well, Paul says the same thing. This whole idolatry thing, yes, it's wrong. God has overlooked it. He hasn't destroyed you. He's allowed it to go on. You've done this in ignorance, but now it's time. You've heard the message. I'm, I'm telling you the message. And it's time to make a decision. And this is the next step. First one is the appeal. The second one is the response needed. And I want you to notice, Paul says here, he has called you to repent. Back in Acts chapter 3, where we've been reading this morning, Acts chapter 3, what is the message? That he says to them in verse 19, Repent then and turn to God so your sins may be wiped out. Repent and turn. This is a theme that runs throughout the gospel message. Now, some have said, well, Paul doesn't use the word repent as much. Well, go to the end of his life, end of Acts 26. In Acts 26, Paul says, I've gone everywhere, beginning in Jerusalem to the Gentile world where where I've gone, and I have preached Jesus Christ and repentance and showing your repentance by works of repentance. It just, the word simply means, to, basically, I'm sure you've heard this, it means if you're going one way to stop and turn around, go the other way, to change your mind, change your way of thinking. Change your way of thinking. Peter calls to his brothers and says, listen, in the temple courts. This was done in ignorance. And just as in the Old Testament, there is forgiveness for sins of unintentionalness that you didn't fully understand what happened, what you did. I am telling you, this has happened. And the response needed is for us to repent. He's within this community setting to repent, to change our mind, to change your mind about Jesus now. Now you understand. Now I've told you, he's risen from the dead. We have seen him. He is who he said he was. He was the author of life. I'm asking you to change your mind about him. Change your mind. To stop in your tracks and turn the other way. And the result of doing this is that God will refresh and restore. Look what he says here. Repent, verse 19, turn to God. Your sins may be expunged, wiped out, and times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God, and here's the word, to restore everything. This is the only place in the New Testament where this particular word is used. It's the only place it's used. Earlier, the apostles asked him, remember in Acts chapter 1, Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? It's a slightly different word, same root. This is the only place this word is used here. He has to stay in heaven till the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. 
For Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from amongst your own people. You must listen to him. Anyone, verse 23, who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. It's decision time, friends. This is what the prophet spoke about. And he goes on to say from Samuel on, this is what we, they've been taught. We didn't understand it, but now we do. We fully understand the Messiah had to suffer. He had to die. He had to sacrifice. It's the only way for sins to be atoned for, for sins to be paid for. It had to happen this way. But if we change our mind and accept this message that he is who he is and believe it, Listen, fellow Jews, fellow Israelites, God will expunge our sins. In those days, writing was different than it is today. The, the, the ink that they, we, they used was not as permanent as today. It was, it's, like, it's, it's like, you know, every so often, I'll, last time I was teaching Bible instruction, the, the junior high kids, high school kids, I went to writing the board, and I went, no, no, stop, because they saw me pick up a permanent marker to write on the board, and they all know better than that, you know, I mean, no, no, stop. That's not, you use the erasable marker, right? There is a way to get their stuff off, but it's not as easy. Use an erasable marker. He, erase it. Think of that. I mean, stop. Can you just think for a minute if you're standing in that crowd and if you were convicted and you actually believed that your community, this, this group of people, leaders and the Romans and these leaders and Jews and Israelites, that they actually killed the author of life. Can you imagine that? The Bible says they're, they're cut to their heart earlier. Can you imagine that? And Peter says, but God, because it was ignorance, you didn't, you didn't understand this. This is Jesus said, forgive them. God will wipe that completely off the slate. And in fact, he will wipe all of your sins and he will bring you back to himself. And not only that, he will refresh. Listen, friends, even right now, as we were there, we were, Israel has, has been in a drought for a long time. The, the Dead Sea, I think they say, was shrinking three feet a year or something like that. The water's coming down the Jordan River, not what they used to be. Uh, this is the Middle East. Water is everything. In the land of Egypt, I mean, if the, the, the Nile River flooded every year, as predictable as can be. But if it altered very much, it was, it was death. It was famine. This is the Middle East. Water is everything. And in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, they are promised the, 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 the spring rains, the refreshing rains, the fall and spring rains. It became symbolic of the coming Messianic age when Christ, when the Messiah would come and Israel would be restored. And God would send the rains. Listen, when the Bible says the rain falls on the just and unjust alike, right in the wintertime in Seattle, we think, that's right. That's right. You wicked people are going to get rain as well. But if you lived in the Middle East, it's the other way around. It's like, wow, God even blesses the unjust with rain? Right? It's a good thing. It's a blessing from God, especially in the agricultural community in the Middle East. It is everything. And these rains became associated with God's blessing and the desert blossoming like a rose and the restoration and the promise after all these hundreds of years that God is going to bring you back and send the Messiah. Every Jew in that crowd knew exactly what he was talking about. He's going to come back. 
He's going to come back. He's going to return. He's going to set up and restore. The word, the Greeks use this word in, in talking about if a temple or a civic building that had fallen in disrepair and they put it back to its original state, that's the word restoration. What a wonderful blessing. What a wonderful message. And we're going to see as we move through this study the results. From our particular view of Scripture, we look at it and say, oh, that's interesting, it never really happened. Israel was not restored. The Messianic kingdom did not come. Unless you think we're living in the kingdom today, my response is, last century we killed more humans in the history of the world. Is that what the kingdom looks like? Look around the world today. Is this what the promised restored kingdom looks like? Well, we're going to talk more about about that whole scenario. But the threads that run through this story and that run throughout the New Testament and reach to our lives today and will continue to reach until even when that kingdom, as we believe, is still going to take place, it's the grace of God. And the threads of that message are still the same as Paul said at Mars Hill. You... you You've been offering idols. You've been sacrificing. You, you haven't believed in one true God. God's overlooked this. But now he is calling everyone to repent. Now you've heard the message. And people say, what about those who've never heard the gospel? You know what? I leave that in God's hands. But what about you? You've heard the gospel. What do you do with it? That's the important thing. And the message is, he is who he said he was. He is the Christ. He died for our sins. He rose from the dead. God has, has asked us, in spite of our disbelief, in spite of our ignorance, in spite of even being opposed to him, when you heard the message, change your mind. Change your mind. And repent. Turn around. Repentance is not a way of earning salvation. It's simply matter. change your mind. And God will refresh you. Listen, friends, I have never, and I, I, really, I know you expect me to say this because I'm a pastor, but I have never met anybody in my life who has regretted embracing the gospel message and having the Lord Jesus. We sang that song today, It is well with my soul. It is well. Why is it well with your soul? Why is it in the times of, 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 of the most difficult times in life? I think so often, I think of that song, I think of my dear friend Wilson Fossey, and I think back on that Good Friday when his adult son died suddenly in a plane crash. Father of five. Wonderful Christian man. Brother in the Lord. I remember going to visit with Pastor Schultz, Wilson and Evelyn on that day. And that was a hard visit. It was Good Friday service. Wilson was scheduled to play that piano. And of course, we already planned on that not happening, right, Shelly? I mean, I figured, you know, we, that wasn't going to happen. And here comes Wilson walking down the thing here, sits down at that piano, pulls out his handkerchief, and sits there and weeps the whole service, pounding out those hymns, right? And I said, Wilson, after the service, I said, Wilson, you didn't have to come tonight. And you know what he said? There's no place else I'd rather be. 
He needed to be with the Lord's people. It was well with his soul. Imagine that. Why? Because of the Lord Jesus Christ. The message is the same. That thread runs throughout the dispensations. God is gracious. God is good. God forgives. God even overlooks our ignorance and invites us to receive salvation. I trust there is not a person here today. Why would you leave this place and not receive Christ as your Savior? Can you, I just, why wouldn't you? If you, friend, if you've never received Christ as Savior, maybe you've heard the message a thousand times, maybe you grew up in church, but you have to make that choice. I don't care if your grandfather was a pastor or a missionary. You have to make that choice. God loves you and extends to you the offer to expunge your sins completely so when you stand before him, you don't have to say, yeah, I know, I'm sorry. They've been wiped clean. Yeah, we can feel, We say we're sorry to God. We ask for his strength. But when we stand there, it's not going to be a matter of what we did or didn't do. It's going to be a matter of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's our only hope, friends. And that is the grace of God. Amen. Thank you, Jesus is right. Thank you so much. Hey, Kurt and Heather, can you guys come down? Would you mind coming down for a word of prayer? That'd be okay. Kurt and Heather Olson are here today. Some of you have been following on Kurt's Caring Bridge, and uh, God has brought him through a battle with leukemia, and uh, he is back now for the next stage and looking toward a uh, transplant, bone marrow transplant. And Kurt, what's, what's the next stage for us here now? Kurt, Kurt grew up in our church. I painted for his, I worked for his dad for many years, uh, many, many years. And we prayed for Kurt when he was a baby, uh, when he had uh, issues. But Kurt, what's the next stage? Um, I'm going to be going back through a round of chemotherapy to try to get my marrow back in remission. Um, so the transplant's kind of on hold now until they get my marrow back in remission. And then straight into the transplant after that. How long a process for this whole? Uh, about a month after this chemo, and then they'll take a biopsy and see if it's in remission, and then it'll be about a three-month process after that for the okay. transplant. So. And his family's back in in uh, Post Falls, Idaho. His uh, children, uh, his wife, uh, her father's a pastor of our sister church over there, Heather. And we've been praying for Kurt, so many of you. So I wanted to close the service. You don't mind? I'm going to ask Kevin and Gary, can you come up, pastors? Come on up here. And um, let's have a word of prayer together. And I'd like, like you guys to grab a microphone. Can you do that, Kevin? Is your mic handy? We'll make it work. Well, we can hear. Here it is. Gary, you, got it. you can go ahead and pray first. Why don't you pray for Kurt and Heather and Kevin when you pray? Okay. And we as a congregation want to lift this brother and sister up to the Lord. God, uh, we just thank you for your hand in, in Kurt's life this far. And uh, we were speaking this morning about uh, miracles in, in our Sunday school. And uh, we just ask for a miracle in, in Kurt's life, that as uh, the doctors work and uh, the chemo works and the drugs work, that your hand also will be working in him. And, 
and just pray for a, a quick process and a speedy process. And, and most of all, just we pray for health for him. And, and we thank you again for your faithfulness in, in leading him up until this point. Lord God, we thank you so much that this day is just like every other day that you've created, that you have seen it, foreseen it, and you have conquered it through the cross. And Lord, I just pray that that assurance and that rest and that peace can fall on them both as they understand that you have seen the days and they, you have seen the path that they are that they are going to be walking and that you are walking that path with them. So I pray, Lord, as as they walk with you, they will feel your presence and they will feel your hand upon them. We thank you that you promise to never leave us, never forsake us, and you will always be with us. So we pray your presence will just illuminate their path and you will fill their spirits with the joy of walking with you through this difficult time. And Lord, I ask that you continue to remind us that you work through all of us. You work with us and you knit us together as a family. Help us to re to remember in our hearts and our minds the joy of praying for our brother and sister as they uh, go through this together. We thank you, Lord, that you are mighty, you are the great healer, and you are the one that makes all things possible through your strength. We pray that strength be upon them today and in the weeks to come. We pray this in your son's name. Father, we do thank you for the time we can be together today. And we do pray if there be a heart here, Lord, that needs to open to the gospel of Jesus Christ, open their heart, receive eternal life. I thank you for Kurt and Heather, Lord, and their testimony, their strong dependence on you, their firm conviction that this situation is in your hands completely. And, Father, from our end, we, we pray for strength. We pray for healing. We pray for success. And, Lord, we pray that you will be with their children during this time, their family, their parents, Lord, and their extended family, we know it's a long road ahead, but it's also a time, Lord, that you can use to bless other people through their lives and through their testimonies. And we know this is going to happen. And we as a congregation, uh, this is he's a part of our family. We bring him to you. We shower him with our prayers. And we ask for your blessing and your goodness upon them. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So you continue to pray. If if you see Kurt and he doesn't give you a big hug and a kiss, remember he's kind of kind of be careful, okay? So don't be offended, but uh, we're going to pray for you guys, and Lord bless you. Thanks for coming out. Let me, let me do this with you guys, okay? Thank you.